Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me fresh off a, a historic two-week bender is uh, my good buddy Alex Brewer. Alex, what's going on, man? Uh, I'm still very hungover. No, I'm fine. It, How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm uh, I'm excited to have you on. Uh, it's it's been... interesting. A lot a lot of people around here have been asking, like, congratulating me, um, like friends and stuff, as though I I did something. You work hard um, for this. You earned it. I guess, uh, but as though like you know, my success is somehow tied to the, the team that is in the city where I live. Um, but I'm telling him it was fun to chronicle. It was fun to follow Ovechkin around as he was on his bender and they were doing snow angels and fountains. Yeah, it was great. So I'm I'm curious about this because you've obviously uh, you have your finger on the pulse a little closer than I do. You uh, you know living there and having covered Ovechkin and the Capitals. Do you think this is one of those things where? Now that they finally won, and sort of the past couple of weeks have gone the way they have, like, is it all good now, or are we? If the Capitals come out of the gate struggling next year, are we going to be rehashing, uh, you know, overly critical conversations about him as a player? Um, I was talking. This is more broadly than just specific on Ovechkin. Um, I was talking. To, I've been talking to a few folks in the organization in the wake of Barry Trotz obviously resigning. Um, and one person put it to me like uh, the organization we, you know, we got our cookie basically that uh, they've built up a lot of emotional equity now within the city, um, and no matter how the next few years go, obviously you want to keep making the playoffs and keep taking runs at it. But um, I mean, my gosh, they delivered something to this town that um, has never happened on the ice and has never happened in, in major pro sports and men's major pro sports in the past, um, you know, quarter century plus. So. Uh, there was a lot of catharsis, a lot of release. Um, you saw that in the parade and the way they celebrated. So, um, you know, Ovechkin told me that when uh, I was kind of trailing him around at Nats Park because he was, like, throwing out the first pitch and such, that um, his legacy is pretty much set. Um, you know, he can only build on it, but uh, he's, he's clearly crossed the threshold, and I think he's very aware of that. Um, he's a guy who, I think, kind of quietly and secretly thinks about that stuff a lot. Um well, you know, I'm sure all the great ones do in every sport. Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, he, you know, he, he, he's brought up, like, not just hockey players to me, but, um, you know, guys like Kobe and LeBron and Jordan and, you know, Messi. I know he admires a lot. And um, I think he I think he thinks about himself in that, those contexts, or he tries, he wants to be thought of in those contexts. Hmm. Um, and, uh, I mean, he knows, you know, fair or not, uh, the presence of, of his name on the cup is going to go a long way into dictating what people think of him. And, and quite frankly, I think how he thinks of himself. Um, no, but so after the Caps won, um, you know, obviously, uh, there's always going to be sort of some sour grapes and, and, and some people who, uh, have interesting counter opinions. And, you know, there was obviously a bit of pushback about the celebration and there was a bit of pushback like, oh, congrats. Wow. He got his first one after 13 years or whatever. Like, oh, whoop-de-doo. But I think, I feel like for the most part, like generally it felt like the approval rating was, like as high as you're really going to see in 2018 in the social media era. And it just felt like even people who were necessarily Caps fans, uh, like maybe Penguins fans might feel differently or something like that. But for the most part, um, unbiased observers were like, you know what? Like seeing this much emotion and passion and just how much he like 
how happy he is about this and how much he cares. Like, it's just cool to see and it's good for the league. And like, we're happy to, we're happy this finally happened. Um, yeah, I could, I could even see Penguins fans being okay with it. Cause like right. they got theirs, right. They got yeah. theirs over the past two years. They, and they got it first. Um, and second and third so and fourth and fifth and sixth however many times they beat them so <laughs> right um yeah it, it really did seem like the hockey world kind of banded together on this one um and i don't know how it felt to you but um to me in retrospect it was kind of like the only thing that could derail a force like vegas was going to be um a real big force like like alex ovechkin and kind of the weight that he's been carrying over the past 13 years right well i mean yeah it was it was there was two conflicting things there right because then it was like oh man it would be it'll be such a tragically epic last chapter to this story for them to finally make the cup final and then lose to an expansion team but obviously led by by their old boss and you know net-minded by the guy who hadn't played great against them in the past but was still a symbol in a way right well so it's interesting now because kind of looking forward um as is our job like obviously you want to so kind of soak this in and enjoy it for what it is but you know we're kind of thinking ahead how what's going to happen in the future what next season's going to look like and now obviously with the news this week um you know that they're going to have a new head coach not that it's necessarily surprising but we do sort of have to kind of look ahead and start prognosticating and projecting on what this team's going to look like and it just it feels like a weird exercise because it's like on the one hand you it just seems silly to be kind of thinking about this stuff too much when they just won the cup, but at the same time, it is kind of our job technically to do so. Yeah. Usually we have a little time to breathe though, right? Like we don't have to rush right into it. Um, but, but this news was kind of, they kind of brought this upon themselves, I think, but, um, I'm sure it, I'm sure internally it has to feel like this is dampening the celebration. No, that, um, you know, you didn't even get the cup days yet and you, you know, you haven't gotten the rings for sure. The banner's obviously not raised and, um, yeah, I mean, just the parade was the champagne had barely dried and on the streets of D.C. And uh, all of a sudden the coach is out and we're kind of thinking ahead to a little bit of an uncertain future. But, you know, then again, it's not like they hadn't planned for this for the past like 13 months either. It's true. Well, and then especially after round one, there was that video that circulated with him, you know, looking like he told John Tortorella that he was done. And obviously after round one, I'm sure if they lost again to the Penguins in round two, that would have been an easier transition. Now it's considering how things unfolded. It, it is a bit of a bigger story, but yeah. Wait, so you're talking about the cup days there. Is Do we know for sure that Ovechkin's actually like, rel- like relinquished the cup? Like I, 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 <laughs> I, I was just under the impression that everyone was going to get their day with the cup with Alex Ovechkin and he was just going to kind of tag along and just be drunk the entire time. Yeah, I think the emotion that we saw on the ice with him was one thing. Um, the way he reacted, uh, you know, to the Holpe save and to Kuznetsov's goal, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's really, really um, impressed upon me just how much it meant to him and the way he's handled this celebration. With just yeah, like you said, like how glued he is to this cup that he's like uh, my friend's dad, like manages the um, W down in uh, uh, in DC, and you know, there's like video circulating of of him, you know, serenading the cup and like waltzing around with it. And he's the only one on the dance floor. And he's just dancing with the cup and like he's spooning it on the ride home from Vegas, and um, you know, he's sleeping with it in bed with his pregnant wife. It's uh, I don't know. It's a level of attachment that, uh, you know, I don't think we often see. And I think it's, it's kind of the culmination, like we said, of, you know, 13 years of, of frustration kind of pouring out and um, kind of the realization of what this all like means to him, what this all means to the city. And uh, I, th- I think that's been the coolest part, right, is, is how they've actually shared it. You know, it's not like they're having private clubs and, you know, parties every night and they're taking it for themselves that, uh, you know, they're spraying champagne off the roofs of like CD bars in Arlington. And, yes. um, you know, they're like chugging out of it in the streets and like, you know, shotgunning beers with fans. Like it's, it's kind of cool. And this was all before the parade. That's like normal parade stuff, but right. Yeah. It's very NHL. Like I, I'm, I'm, I've really, <laughs> I've really enjoyed how much, uh, sort of just personality they've been showing off. And obviously, I mean, Jakob Rana's Instagram feed was, uh, uh was some next level stuff. They should uh, put that in in the portrait gallery across the street from Capital One Arena, where all the fans congregate. There's right. like a little modern art display upstairs that has a lot of um, like video displays. Just freaking stick that in there. Like get the Joe B one where he's there doing the goal calls. Get him, you know, getting his tattoo. Um, I want to see like the Jacob Rana art exhibit upstairs. Mm. I'm really curious. So doing that a bit of a look ahead right now. I know it's premature. We'll see how the summer unfolds still, and there's a lot of stuff to happen, but. I am really curious to see sort of what this team looks like heading into next season and what the effect of this will be. Because, you know, you could sort of, depending on which narrative you want to go with, uh, that's the beauty of, of this gig. You could really just 
go either way. You could go like, oh, well, now that you know the pressure's off of them and they finally done this, like they should be playing free and easy hockey and it'll be great. Or you could go like, oh, you know, Ovechkin's just going to be straight up drinking all summer and he's going to come to the camp <laughs> super out of shape and it's going to take him a while to get back into it. And we'll see now that they've won how that goes. But also, like from a personnel perspective, I mean, obviously there's going to be a new coach and we'll see whether there's going to be a different system or different philosophies. And then there's also, you know, John Carlson's a free agent. There's various other things for them to do. So it's really curious because I know like the past few years with the Penguins, it felt like for the most part, there was like very little moving pieces and it felt like they were just bringing the teams back together. And um, I'm not sure if that's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. Um, You know, it's always good to kind of spice things up and have new new voices and new faces in the room. But uh, I'm just really fascinated to see with this Capitals team, um, you know, what they're going to look like heading into next season and what the effect of this is going to be moving forward. Yeah, because, I mean, they have, they have cap space, depending on how high it jumps, but they don't have a ton of cap space. Right. Um, and in order to reload, um, you have to do some things. And, and the obvious one is trading Philip Grubauer. Um, yeah, I assume that's probably going to happen. I think they're pretty comfortable with Copley coming up as their number three to be in their number two. Um, curious. Uh, one thought that I had was, um, you know, the Islanders seem to be uh, mentioned a lot with Grubauer. What happens if Trotz ends up there? Like, I, I I wonder if if they just say, you know, we don't want to trade them anymore. I'm, I'm sure we'll get to this later when we talk about Ottawa and their hesitance to trade in division. Um, but, like, do you really want to hand your old coach, the guy who left, uh, you know, the, your backup goalie and have him become a starter and have him come back to haunt you? I don't know. Um, so wherever he goes, you know, that's going to shed expected money off the books given that he's an RFA. Um, I'm curious to see whether they actually have enough money and whether they have enough cash and, and whether they have to make another move if they really want to bring back Carlson and Kempney as their pair. Um because boy, they they worked really well together at even strength. Um, I mean, Kepney is um, he's skilled enough, he's fast enough to retrieve pucks, and and that kind of allows Carlson to be the second man up. Um, you know, after the retrieval from behind the net, and um, let lets him lead the rush and do what he does so well. Um, but you know, do you have the money? And do you know if if Carlson says you know that eighth year is not going to be enough for me, and I want to see what's out there on the open market? I mean, you got to imagine that some team, some GM is going to throw a, a whole bundle of cash at him. And um, you know, what does that then do for your right side when you have Niskanen, and then, then the drop off from him is then you know probably to Madison Bowie or um, you know Brooks Orpik or Christian Juice playing on their offside. Mm. Um, and then and then it goes right down to their bottom six. Um, you know, you, you probably say goodbye to Jay, Jay Beagle. Um, you know, Smith Pelly, I think, is an RFA, so they could conceivably bring him back. And, um, you know, you have guys waiting in the wings. I don't think their forward core um, is going to look that much different. Uh, the question is, though, you know, do they, if they need to shed salary in order to take care of their blue line, uh, do they have to kind of take someone out of out of that bottom six? And, and who is that going to be? Well, yeah, what that finan- those financial implications, sort of where they're currently at with their money is is – you know, it, on the surface, it kind of seems like it's a curse, but it might actually be a bit of a blessing because we see time and time again, like when teams win the cup or have very successful seasons, like it's really tough for them to sort of emotionally detach themselves from the situation. And then often, you know, they're handing out contracts to these hard and soul guys that probably don't, you know, won't be able to live up to that just because of uh, sort of the memories and what they meant to the team and all that. And so in this case, I mean, obviously the Carlson thing is an entirely different um conversation to be had but like for the most part even if they were gonna make those mistakes it just seems like their hands are kind of tied and will prevent them from doing so so that might actually kind of in a weird roundabout way be a be a positive yeah yeah i mean you look at like how pittsburgh repeated for instance i mean the second year they have jake gensel come in and he right. comes out of nowhere and um you know becomes you know almost the con Smythe winner so um i don't think the capitals might have that guy waiting in the wings but um i mean they do have players who should be expected to take jumps like stevenson like travis boyd like uh you know even rana and burakovsky like these are young guys that um you know quite frankly they haven't had young forward prospects pan out in the way that the shiris and the rusts and et cetera of the world have for pittsburgh so you know if, if they get back if they happen to get back in a position to contend again i would say it's it's largely because well not only the big guys kept doing what they're doing but they were able to to round out uh, their secondary scoring a little bit better than they have yeah, well, that's, that's an interesting thing where it's like, you know, you want to earlier on in the postseason and throughout the regular season, I was critical of Barry Trotz in certain instances and the job he was doing and this Capitals team. I was like, oh, you know, compared to all the past incarnations of it, it's not nearly as good. But now it's like, how can you even be critical of those things considering they wound up winning the cup? But you're right. I mean, like there is room for internal growth. I mean, what we just we saw as the postseason went on when. Rana got bumped up to that second line with Baxter and Oshie and got a bigger workload. And then Burakovsky coming back from injury and we know what he's capable of. So there are certain guys like that where um, 
there is room for development and growth and they could get kind of a, a shot in the arm offensively from those in-house options already as opposed to needing to go out and spend money to bring guys in yeah and where i think this year in particular will come in handy is um they have the kind of internal knowledge that they can flip that switch um that they can go through stretches in the regular season where they're still trying to figure it out where they're still trying to you know get the young guys to come along or where they're you know starting goalie doesn't play as well and he needs a little bit of a rest and um they now have that in the memory bank where they can look back on this year and remember you know shutting out pittsburgh shutting out tampa bay in game six and seven and getting by pittsburgh in game six and overtime with essentially like a preseason lineup with all the rookies that they were dressing um mm. And then you know, doing what they did against Vegas, like it's, uh, I think, I think it can go a long way for them psychologically. But you know, then again, you can also see they maybe they get into malaise like they have in the past with the Presidents' trophies, and um, you know, a little bit of complacency sets in. I don't know, but uh, I, you know, going back to what we were saying earlier, they they certainly build up a lot of capital. No pun intended around here. Um, um, well, a little bit pun intended. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. That, that's that sport right, sports writer in you right there. Um, is what was your take on the trot situation? Because obviously it wasn't necessarily surprising based on what we knew, but just based on the fact that he did wind up winning the cup, like it, it's obviously a rarity for him because he's not like he's retiring. Like I, I feel very confident saying we're going to see him next season at behind the bench somewhere. Yeah, I was surprised by a few things. Um, well, first being that they won the cup altogether, which was probably the one thing that would have complicated the situation. Like if they, I think as the post has reported a couple times, if they lose certain games throughout the regular season, he's probably fired. If they lose in the second round against Pittsburgh, he's probably fired. Uh, maybe the, the Easter conference final is a little bit of a tweener, but then again, he, he leaves them the first Stanley cup final in 20 years. And the first Stanley cup in franchise history, like you kind of, you kind of had to bring him back or at least try, mm. um, but at the same time, asking for you know five years and five million surprised me a little bit. Um, just knowing Barry the way I do, um, it's probably. But the, at the same time, like this is this is a once in a lifetime opportunity for him to cash in, so you can't fault him at all. Um, you know, I was thinking he's maybe he he wants to stay. Maybe he's he's planted his roots with his family here, and um, he wants to keep keep it going. But um, at the same time, like you can't. You, I don't think you could fault either side. Honestly, I mean, Washington historically has not been a team that. Um, pays its coaches a ton. Um, I mean, Barry, if we go back, I mean, his big draw, well, he was the first coach of the Ovechkin era to actually have NHL experience. They never have gone out and hired a, a big name before and thrown a bo- bucket load of cash at someone. Um, and so, and also from Barry's perspective, you know, if, if he wanted to see what else is out there, if Washington was indeed um, sticking to its guns and saying, we want to hold you to this two year, you know, extension, this, this trigger, this uh, automatic coaches option that, that seemed to trigger. Um, you know, in the event that they won the Stanley Cup, which is another fascinating wrinkle that I don't think anyone really knew about in there. Um, if they wanted to pay him that amount, then that's probably below what he's worth. And, um, you know, it's well within his rights to go seek out. There's no coach's cap, right? So he can go out and get whatever the heck he wants. Right. Yeah. Well, it'll be fascinating to see where he lands. Um, you know, I think he's a good coach. I, I had some quibbles with... Like I said, the job he did with the Capitals this year, but it all worked out, and it seems like Todd Reardon's going to be the guy that's going to sort of step up to uh, to the main main gig, right? I would think so. Yeah. Um, I mean, barring some sort of like crazy breakdown in the interview, I don't know. Maybe he shows up with like, his pants off or something. <laughs> but um, I mean, they've been they've been grooming him ever since he right. Uh, they made him associate head coach and basically barred him from talking to other teams um, because they were afraid he was going to get away and they were scared that um, things were going to go south with Barry, which it. it Quite frankly, it looked like it was going to. I mean, there was there were a couple points early in the season where um, he could have very easily lost that locker room, I think, and they could have just punted and had moved on to the next guy. Um, so, I mean, whether that's credit to him, whether that's credit to the players, or um, the capital certainly seemed to be banking on the fact that you know, whatever kind of culture he's established is going to endure, regardless of who's you know ultimately behind the bench. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, enough about. I, I felt obligated to talk about the Caps a bit there because of obviously your background and also the fact that I haven't really done a podcast since uh, since the Stanley Cup final ended. But it does feel like it's so long ago. I was like trying to remind myself of of what happened. I was like, which game was that? Where it really does. Yeah. Like a lot's happened. I mean, they lost their coach and they drank themselves into a, a deep, deep, deep summer slumber. So <laughs> right. Um, okay, let's uh, let's talk a bit about the Senators and. Uh, the trades Boy. that happened today. Um, wow, we we really buried the lead here. We only like twenty minutes without uh, without talking about this, but you know we're going in chronological order here. Um, wow, the uh, 
where to start with this the Hoffman oh. trades this is uh there's so many factors here to consider and it's it's tough to without having you know the requisite inside knowledge and sort of knowing what those you know restrictions were or you know whether they could trade in division how much of it was financial which obviously seems like a lot of it was involved obviously all of the Hoffman rumors like it just everything in Ottawa right now is such a mess and it's it's not a, it's a pretty ominous sign for you know what's shaping up to be a big summer for them considering the the Eric Carlson sized elephant in the room that's still waiting to be determined like it's yikes if you're a Senators fan right now you must be pretty uncomfortable yeah let's start out and just say that uh and we can agree on this that the uh the things that his wife are accused of doing are horrific and have no place um yeah no reprehensible yes yeah horrible 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 um should happen to no one and should be done by no one and now we're going to talk about it from a purely hockey perspective yes yes um what the heck are they doing Hmm. i mean there's just so much to unpack here so okay the the first trade they make with uh with the sharks there um you know you see it and it's like you're taken aback a bit by how small the return is and then you know there's a bit of a pushback where just you're thinking okay well based on all the stories that we'd heard about uh what you just referenced there like Hoffman's value around the league clearly took a massive hit and yeah. they weren't going to get full return or anything near it i mean it doesn't help obviously that he had a down season and that everything you know with a bad with a team that has as bad of a year as the senators had it's sometimes it's so tough to evaluate individual players cuz you don't know how much of it was the situation and how much of it was actually them potentially declining as a player or or, or having a downturn in in production but you know you're thinking okay that explains it but then like literally less than an hour later the sharks get significantly more uh from the panthers for him and then you're like okay well i guess that's it that's a tough pill to swallow and then you hear this report come out there it's like oh well you know pierre dorian was told that he or maybe he and himself doesn't like to trade in division and that kind of muddled the water muddied the waters and it's just it's just such a mess yeah, I mean the tough part, I guess, though, as you pointed out, is um, you know, the allegations surrounding him and his family are kind of linked to what's going on, right? They're linked. They're so clearly, um, they so clearly resulted in his value plummeting. Um, but at the same time, yeah, if you were, why wouldn't you look in your own division? I mean, that seems like such a backwards way of thinking. Um, Maybe you really, really wanted Mikel Bodker, in which case, let's quibble with that for a second. Well, I think that would be an even more, <laughs> more damaging. That would be even more damning, right? Else, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you could have you could have loaded the covers if you're indeed um, reloading here. If you if you're indeed only going to spend to the, the salary ceiling, um, you need picks. And Florida gave San Jose a decent haul. What a fourth, a fifth, and a second. Yep. Um, so that was out there if you if you bothered to look and it was pretty clear they didn't even pick up the phone and call a gm who whose own trade history is not exactly sparkling can we agree over the past especially over the past year or so um you know why would you, you what is your corollary about gms or your your rule about gms always call the, the dumb ones yeah no just figure out which ones are are the the worst gms and just keep calling them until they give you a gift like it's it's it really is as simple as that but like yeah so okay the sharks get those three picks they get a bad con so let's take this team by team for the sharks they're obviously the big winner here because just for being the middleman they got a bunch of draft capital which they can either use as trade pieces moving forward considering they're kind of in win now mode or they can just make those picks themselves they get a bad contract off their books and clear money and now that's huge i mean that's huge for them given who's who's coming up this summer yeah well i mean their current projected cap hit is like 63.4 Five million, it looks like, based on what they have right now. And uh, early reports, we'll find out in the next couple of days. Speculate that I think the cap's going to be around like seventy-nine million or something total. So, I mean, that is obviously they have Joel Thornton pending. Um, you know, Tomas Hurdle and Chris Tierney and Dylan Demello to a lesser extent are all RFAs that they'll need to figure out. But for the most part, I mean, even after signing Amanda Kane, now they have a realistic outlet for i mean they've been rumored for john Tavares for a while now but even a guy like Ilya kovalchuk more recently and that'll be sort of really interesting to see because it's clear that they're kind of gearing themselves up to be a massive player this summer and if they do wind up hitting some home runs there uh you know a move like this is just 
a really savvy piece of business by Doug Wilson. Yeah, I, I was curious. What did you think um, in that very brief, you know, nap size window in which Mike Hoffman was a member of the San Jose Sharks? Mm. Like, do, do you think? I mean, I, I thought that wouldn't have been the worst thing. I guess um, this is clearly better. Yes, that they I mean, were able, like you said, to get draft picks and get um, and get cap space in order to take a run to some of those big fish. But um, I don't think it would have been the worst thing in the world. Right. Yeah. Obviously, we'll see what they do with that money. Um, you know, purely from an on ice perspective, I'm still uh, a supporter of Mike Hoffman's game, and I think that he can yeah. definitely contribute. And I think he's due for a bounce back season, especially if you know he's in a better situation, playing with better players, and that shooting percentage uh, takes an upward uh, upward swing again. So. Yeah, I think like it's very plausible that he could be a back to a thirty goal scorer next season, and that's a very valuable player in today's NHL. So, I I would have liked that perfectly fine, but obviously this, assuming they use that money wisely, uh, you know, considering all those other factors as well, is is a kind of a win win for them. Um, you know, from the Panthers' perspective, like yeah, it's fine. They gave up a couple of of picks. Obviously, the second rounder is is in twenty nineteen and. You know, it's a pretty small price to pay in the grand scheme of things for Mike Hoffman. Uh, although it is fascinating that, you know, after they gave up Jonathan Marchessault and Riley Smith, uh, Dale Talon was on the record saying that you know defense wins championships and sort of justified it as as not that being that big of a deal because those aren't the type of players you can win with. And then Vegas makes the Cup final, and then all of a sudden, you know, their first move this summer is going after uh, a goal scoring winger, which I find to be interesting. Yeah, I mean, who knows what's coming out of there? Like, yeah. That, that's why it's so fun, right? You don't really know what you're going to get out of the Florida Panthers these days, but um, boy, are they, they're fun to watch for me. Um, I mean, now they have a top six of what? Huberto, Barkov, uh, Trocek, Dadanov, Hoffman, um, one other winger. That's that's pretty that's pretty good. Um, yeah. You know, I, I put that up there with, with most others in that division, top sixes. Um, obviously, they, they're going to have to round it out. They need more depth. They need a little more consistency on the back end to, to be a contender, but um, you know, they're, they're coming. I think they're coming. Um, I'm not sure, you know, how putting two years of Mike Hoffman at like 5.2 million um, before he becomes a UFA at age 30 is going to help. But um, I mean, I yeah, know, I guess. just adding as many good players as you can. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm exactly. That. That's fair. Yeah, right. Like he was out there. His his cost was was low. Certainly lower than it would have been at the trade deadline, no doubt. Um, even though you had to go through San Jose to get him as opposed to, to Ottawa. Okay, so for Ottawa here, um, <laughs> yeah, okay. for Ottawa. <laughs> so. I'm assuming I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt here, even though uh, they haven't given us much reason to do so. But I'm going to assume that this trade was not uh, centered around the fact that they actually view Mikhail Bodker as a valuable piece of their team moving forward. You know, like the financial implications here are sort of obvious where, especially if there's more trades coming down the pike with potentially Carlson and even Bobby Ryan's contract moving out, um, they're going to be, they're going to need contracts like this to uh, to hit the salary floor, and I think his was uh, a bit front loaded. So what it's actually appearing as on, on, against the cap is uh, lower than what they will be paying him in real dollars, and obviously the difference in his contract that's remaining versus Mike Hoffman saves them like four or five million, I believe, in in cash over over the duration of those contracts. So for a penny pinching franchise like that, um, I guess that's a, a win, but it's. This is a really fascinating thing for me because it's tough to argue that their team um, is anything but worse today than they were uh, before this trade. And if they do move Eric Carlson in the next couple of weeks, you presume that it's going to be for futures and picks and prospects and and, this, and the like. And then that kind of ties us to the upcoming draft here and, and the pick because it looks like they're going to choose to keep that fourth overall pick this summer which means that Colorado obviously gets uh, their first rounder no matter what next season, which, you know, just looking at the Ooh, this, looking at his depth better. chart, I mean, obviously the, the lottery is there for a reason, but it's very conceivable that without Eric Carlson, this Ottawa Senators team is going to wind up with the highest odds for the first overall pick heading into next year's draft lottery. And that must be such a sweet, you know, if you're Joe Sackick in the abs, like that must be the sweetest position i know that they overachieved a bit this season and maybe they'll come back to earth a little bit next season but for the most part you know the abs are moving in the right direction they'll be competitive again next year and now they also have this beautiful asset that could be a very very high pick and most likely will and that's uh you know we've always seen it in an nba obviously with uh the trade between the celtics and the nets a couple years ago but, but, but and we saw how kind of that was the gift they kept on giving obviously this is 
slightly different because it's just the one pick but it's a pretty sweet spot for the abs and they're kind of weirdly like i joked about this on twitter but other than the sharks they might be the second biggest winner of this trade just because the senators get worse so it's uh man this is uh it was a fascinating sequence of events yeah well the ultimate domino is going to be carlson right um for for that i assume you if you're ottawa you have to go into the draft you have to make that decision on the number four pick under the assumption that you're not going to have him on your team because even if he's on your team, you're probably getting rid of him. So if he's on your team past the draft, you're probably getting rid of him at some point. So ultimately, you're going to be, you know, Ottawa Senators minus Eric Carlson when you finish that season and you know enter the the future lottery for 2019. So, right. um, yeah, I mean, their, I mean, their roster as it looks right now is is pretty dreadful, right? Mm. Especially when you when you subtract one of the best defensemen in the world from it and. Um, you know, maybe if you were somehow magically able to get out from under that Bobby Ryan contract, um, then you know, yeah, you're gonna have to take salary back. I mean, they're they're in a tough spot. It, I mean, not only does their current roster look worse after these trades, but I don't I don't feel particularly optimistic about their future either, given what came back. Yeah, it's it, 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 honestly like the biggest losers here are are their fans. It sucks because I understand like I'm not the person writing these checks, so like I, it, it's an entirely different animal. But like, just when you. It, it sucks when teams operate this way where like they're just the idea that one of the biggest things they'd be after in an Eric Carlson trade, giving away a top two to three defenseman in the world um, would be to get out from under a bad contract and not actually try to improve their team is just like indefensible to me. And if I was a fan of that team, I would just be sick to my stomach just thinking about it. Yeah. And really just everything that's surrounded them this year with, you know, the owner at the outdoor game and then go what's going on with Hoffman and um, you know so how they so clearly had to just dump him in order to you know what would they he, Dorian comes out immediately after is talking about a culture change and it's you know it's, it's so transparent about you know why they made this trade and why they got the value they didn't return but I mean even given that you have to um, you have to think that they could they could have gotten a little more if they just opened their eyes to look at the neighbors sitting right next to them I'm kind of curious though like if if they actually didn't want to make, just make the trade straight up with the Panthers because they didn't want to trade in division, like what are, does that imply that they think they're going to be competitive next season? Because <laughs> yeah, that too. It's like Hoffman has two years left on his deal, and just based on how this past year went, and sort of you're kind of looking at the writing on the wall. It's like this Senators team is going to suck for a long time, especially if they trade Eric Carlson. So it's like. Why? Why does it matter if your division rival gets Mike Hoffman? Like it's it's just such a bizarre line of thinking, and it also kind of immediately you're just kind of confessing that you're losing the trade because otherwise, if you thought you were getting the better end of it, why wouldn't you want to try and swindle your divisional rival and make them worse? Like all of it, none of it just adds up. It's all just so confusing, and the mental gymnastics is something else. It's almost like uh, this team is not really sure what it's doing Mm, yes that's right um okay let's uh let's take a quick little break here to hear from a sponsor and we will answer some some mailbag questions on the other end of things i think this is gonna be fun Let's chat a little bit with SeatGeek, today's sponsor of the Hockeypedia cast. Uh, anyone that's had to go through the process of buying tickets online before knows how complicated and confusing and time-consuming it can be. Um, you know, you're going through a bunch of different websites. You don't really even know what you're looking at. You don't know how reliable it is or whether you're going to pay for something that's completely different from where you're actually going to be sitting. Um but you don't have to worry about any of that with SeatGeek because SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift for someone in your life, SeatGeek's going to help you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. And honestly, the best part is um, you know, how easy it is to use and how efficient it is. Uh, it really only takes a couple taps on your phone, a couple minutes, and you're good to go. Um I can say that with confidence because I've used SeatGeek plenty of times myself in the past. I actually recently uh, used their app on my phone um, the other day. I'm going, now the season's done, I'm going to have some more free time and I'm going to take a road trip down to Seattle here and catch some Mariners baseball games. And, you know, I know there's no hockey or basketball on, but whether it's baseball or concert season or what have you, there's still plenty of events going on and plenty of opportunities to use SeatGeek and save yourself a bunch of time and money yourself. Um, and the best of all, actually, is that SeatGeek is now giving my listeners a pretty sweet deal. Um, if you sign, if if you use them today, uh, you're going to get twenty dollars off your first purchase with them. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO. That's promo code PDO for twenty dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase. 
now let's get back to the show. All right. Um, Alex, here's an interesting question I got from uh, from a listener. He asks, "What are um, like? What do you think the biggest free agent draws are in 2018 and this current landscape?" Like, obviously, I understand guys have it's kind of a case by case basis because different people have different priorities and different interests. But it's 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 an interesting question to me. I mean, this is going to come up with John Tavares quite a bit over the next few weeks. But it's like, is it trying to win a Stanley Cup? Is it market size? Is it sort of playing for one of these, um, you know, old school teams that has a lot of history to it that you may have, might have grown up watching and cheering for? Like, what is it hometown? Like, I, I like I, I don't know. You you're kind of around rinks a lot, and you're talking to some of these guys and kind of picking their brains. Like, what what do you think? Like the your typical let's, let's NHL go, star is looking yeah. for when he's hitting the free agent market. Maybe let's spin this in a, in a way um, that we can like focus a little bit. What, what do you think are places that have become better, you know, more high profile draws in recent years? Like for me, Winnipeg comes to mind. Um, well, let's Jersey, put the brakes Jersey on Jersey that. Come, what's that? We haven't necessarily seen anyone sign in Winnipeg. I mean, the only thing we've really seen is that Paul Stasny waived his no trade, but that was for like a couple months worth of hockey. No, but say if I'm if I'm a UFA and right. I'm looking at the market. Um, that's a spot that, I mean, they're pretty well positioned, right, for the next couple of years to yep. make a run at it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I would look at Vegas for sure. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> they, they, I mean, they check a lot of boxes as far as having a ton of cash, uh, having a lot of sunshine. Um, yeah, maybe, I'm curious. As, yeah. Maybe not if you're like a 32-year-old family man. No, but even the suburbs there are pretty good from what I've heard. I think guys, guys like living there with families hmm. um, because it is that kind of tight-knit community of folks who actually you know, live there and are not just visiting the Strip. Right. Um, so, you know, like not bad schools and, you know, it's obviously great for kids cause they get to be outside all the time. Yeah. I'm kind of curious to see, you know, to your Winnipeg point, um, you know, so far we've only really seen like what Dmitry Kulikov is like their biggest free agent signing and they kind of overpaid to make that happen. Um, I, you know, this summer and moving forward, uh, it'll be interesting to see if, if something comes to fruition. Cause you're right, obviously just based on the talent there and sort of how fun to watch they were this year. Like if you're, especially if you're kind of a a speedier, more offensively minded player. Like that seems like it would be a pretty fun spot to play. in, especially as like a playmaker getting to play with Patrick Laine or something like seems like a, an easy way to get a bunch of assists and get your, get, get yourself paid on a future yeah. contract as well. Yeah. They have, they have a lot of guys under restricted who they have to lock up, but um, I still you, think it's, it seems like they'll have a decent bit of cap space if they want, they want to do something or they have some flexibility if they want to ship one of those guys out. What do you think about like a, I guess like Tampa Bay. I mean, the thing is, is like they haven't really necessarily had, just because they've had so many good players making a bunch of money over the past handful of years, like they haven't really been massive players in the free agent market. But you know, places like that, like I, I don't, I don't really think because you know this listener sort of cited um, kind of like you know teams that have been around for a while and have that tradition. Like I don't really think people really care about that anymore. Like I think like <laughs> some of these kind of non traditional markets that are in warmer cities, like that seems pretty appealing to me. I don't know. Yeah, and you know, no state tax. For instance, I mean, I think that's appealing from a financial point. Um, I'm sure there are certain guys for whom, you know, playing under the bright lights of Madison Square Garden or at the Bell Center every night is, you know, 42 nights a year or whatever, 41 yeah. nights is going to be um, somewhat of a draw. But, I mean, if you're a, a smart, you know, businessman in this day and age, if you're a hockey player, I think you have to look at the totality. And a lot of that includes finances. A lot of that includes quality of life. And, um, you know, as as we've seen more and more of these, you know, so-called Sunbelt teams take leaps and, um, you know, they, they gain more revenue. They're able to spend more money. They become more and more attractive. Mm hmm. I guess. Oh, the obvious answer here that we're missing is Nashville. Yeah, I would. I mean, yeah, of course, that yes. seems like a wonderful place to go. Yes. Um, I'm sure Kyle yeah. Turris is very, very happy right now that he's signed long term and not in Ottawa. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you know Absolutely. what? I, I really okay. One last thing on the centers. I really, uh, I, I don't want to, you know, beat a dead horse at this point. But you know, the kind of one of the other things that's going to be interesting to see moving forward is you know Mark Stone as well um, coming up with his RFA deal, and he's obviously a fantastic player that's going to cash in, and like, you know, it's been brought up the how kind of cruel it would be if Colorado, for example, signed him to an offer sheet just because they have the cap space and, you know, they have Ottawa's pick coming in so they could easily sacrifice their own um, if Ottawa didn't match. But on like the point that I necessarily haven't seen raised is like, if you're Mark Stone, are you signing a long-term offer sheet, risking the fact that the senators 
as currently constructed actually match and just keep you there for like the rest of your career? Ooh, that's a really good question. No. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that, that's pretty risky. Like, I'd be pretty scared about that just because, like, you know, just with this current ownership, you can't necessarily expect it's going to change anytime soon. And this team is clearly isn't going to compete and put yourself in a position to succeed. So it's like, I understand the money is one thing, but man, if there's like any competitive drive in you, it seems like you're just like pretty much just, you know, putting a bow on your career at that point. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see them saying like, we want this guy to be one of our core members for the long term which you know rightfully so he's a wonderful player you know right. he had a great year in limited time so um yeah you're that is a big risk right there um i assume he, he's old enough to have arbitration rights right right yeah everyone else is leaving mark stone's just like trying to sneak out the door they're like hey mark where do you think you're going get back yeah here. Get yeah back they rope him back in hey yeah, yeah uh, we're gonna sign you this massive offer sheets and lock you in for the rest of your life no um yeah that's a really that's a really interesting question i am curious to see though if if a team would throw an offer sheet and try to take advantage of, of what's apparently become a pretty tumultuous situation there and, and at least try to force their hand i just want to see one big offer sheet this summer i don't care who it is but after like all the dry sidle stuff last summer and various other guys we've seen in the past that haven't even though they were just ripe there ripe for the picking i hope we uh we see anything but with the nhl we know guys uh in the old boys club never want to upset their friends um there's a follow-up here about um you know, in the NBA, for example, we often hear maybe after the fact about sort of these pitches in free agency that teams put together for players. And one of the most recent examples was like, I know when Blake Griffin was uh, re-signing with the Clippers this past summer, like they put together this like video of, you know, him winning a title with them and them hanging his jersey in the rafters and so on and so forth. We don't really like hear that much about that happening in the NHL, although I do know that it was reported uh, recently that like if Tavares does hit the open market, that the Leafs will have some sort of creative uh, quote unquote uh, presentation for him. I'm not sure what that implies, but yeah, I remember, um, well, two examples come to mind. One is when, Toronto evidently brought out the farm for um, David Clarkson. Stamp, no, for Stam- <laughs> for, for Stamkos. Um, when I think they had, they brought in some local politician or maybe the mayor of Toronto or someone like that. Um, I, forgive me, I don't really know Canadian politics that well, but um, I, I should know because I think I wrote about it. But anyway, um, and that I think from what I remember, kind of turned him off a little bit. It was a little bit more of a spectacle than he wanted. That um, he kind of appreciated the way Tampa Bay just kind of went about, you know, letting him make his decision and doing his research, and he asked questions. And um, it wasn't this big, you know, welcome, you know, kind of almost seen stamp ghost esque level of spectacle that he felt like he got from them. Um, then the other that comes to mind was um, when uh, Goligoski and Yandel ended up. Um, think in arizona and and florida respectively at at very very least kolagoski in um arizona they they had a very elaborate thing where like a car rolled into the the ice rink they had like a red carpet rolled out and they drove to center ice and he got out and he walked around the arena and they had like a video playing for him then they went to a dinner where like shane doan was and they all talked about arizona and signing with the coyotes and i think this was when they had acquired his um, his rights in a trade like right before he was a UFA. So it was right before right. free agency opened. And then they had that window um, and it worked. Um, I think my, my favorite little detail about it was they had like a gift basket, like an Arizona themed gift basket um, of like little, you know, local goods and, and stuff. Um, so, you know, it, I've talked to Jake about this, you know, it's, it's one thing where you, you know, you might as well try it, right. You might as well see um, if this is a method that can work. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I did see that. What was it that, uh, that Toronto was, you know, they've laid a fresh sheet of ice down at air Canada center cause they were shooting some video. Mm. Yeah. That'll be interesting to see what that, I wonder if we'll hear more about that. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I it definitely makes sense. Obviously like you, and there's a human element to it. And if you're one of these free agents, like you want to feel wanted and you want to kind of, you want teams to jump through hoops to try and impress you. So that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, if you're Edmonton, how are you not trotting Wayne Gretzky out and like, having him sit down with guys and talk to him about it. I don't know what he's going to say, but yeah, about, after, future, after, about, about signing with the Oilers after but, the yeah. Milan Luchers debacle, I think they should uh, stay away from all free agent signings moving forward for the foreseeable future. <laughs> yeah. But you know, get creative with it, right? Like you're, I mean, you're trying to woo it, woo them. It's, it's a process. It's a bidding war. Um, so why wouldn't you try to find advantages wherever you can? Why wouldn't you try to tap into that human element, you know, talk to them about the family, about the you know stuff you can do for the kids. Like, I would love to see them get creative with it. Um, hopefully, as we see, you know, more fresh faces and management coming in, um, you know, guys like Chaika will get there. Mm. 
Um, oh, speaking of uh, speaking of fresh faces, uh, let's talk a bit about burner accounts. Uh, uh, do you have one? No, 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 no. I mean, have you seen my Twitter feed? I say some pretty crazy stuff on there. I mean, what what do I what do I need a burner account for? I say everything I'm I'm, I'm thinking on there. Um, but I do know that there. I know of various NHL executives that do have burner accounts. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that, that obviously, okay, so the Colangelo thing in the NBA, like, that was to the extreme, and that was, I mean, there's a bunch of incredibly unprofessional things going on there and, and all that. Um, I, like, for, for the most part, from what I know of, uh, most of these accounts I'm referencing are just, like, they just follow people just to keep up with what's going on on Twitter. They're not necessarily actually tweeting themselves, but... Um, yeah, no, there's plenty out there. I think, like, Tim Murray, for example, um, obviously, while he was with the Sabres, was most notoriously behind the scenes had a really good one going yeah brian mcclellan when i covered the team would occasionally reference things i tweeted um he, he has like an officially team sanctioned twitter account now that has like one tweet from 2015 but um it certainly see and he it doesn't follow anyone so he definitely has another one where he follows people secretly um and i'm pretty sure i i got him to admit it once um it wouldn't surprise me though i mean yeah just as long as you're responsible with it, as long as you're not a, a an idiot and starts like getting angry and using it to lash out then um i mean i would want to follow i would want to secretly keep up to date with what's going on now that that can probably uh i don't know maybe it can be instructive you know uh the the twitter hockey twitter does seem to have some better ideas than gms do these days mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's your job to be kind of in touch with what's going on and there's such a uh, you know, relevant, um, insightful stuff going on in the public domain. Um, even you, know, as as uh, hockey minds get snatched up by teams, there's still a lot of cool stuff out there. So it's like, yeah, if you're not exploring all of that and keeping up to date with what people are talking about and saying, like you're, it just seems like you're being kind of negligent in, in doing your duties. Even if you don't, you should have someone who does. Like you should have someone at least just give you a check in. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, Artemi Panarin. Uh, today, uh, it was reported that, uh, you know, he might be on the market, uh, because he has one year left on his deal and apparently he doesn't want to talk about a contract extension yet. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that he will be traded or that he won't sign a long-term extension with the Blue Jackets, but obviously, you know, if you're them playing in a smaller market, the idea of a star like that, uh, just walking in free agency and you having nothing to show for it, uh, is a pretty tough pill to swallow. So it makes sense that they would try to kind of recoup some value on that if they really felt like it wasn't going to happen moving forward with him but man that's it's it's crazy to think about because you know we're just talking about the capitals and their stanley cup victory but like after two games of the playoffs uh you know he was just absolutely eviscerating them and he was like the best player on the ice in that series and uh, obviously the, the blue jackets can finish the job but it's crazy that how quickly things have changed in such a short period of time yeah really curious why this is coming out now like it it wouldn't surprise me that someone wouldn't want to negotiate a contract at this point in time right when right. I mean, you're going into your ufa you're going to be what 27 years old like that's that's peak ufa period like you you can lock up an eight-year deal if you're staying or a seven-year deal for a good chunk of change if he continues what he's been doing so um it wouldn't surprise me that he would want to wait and evaluate his options i understand the bind that it's putting columbus in and i understand why the news got out when it did um but I don't know what kind of package do you think you could get for them if they actually went shopping for him this summer? Oh, a lot. I mean, I understand, like, you know, just the fact that he has only the one year left. Um, like Brandon Saad? <laughs> I think they could probably make that happen. I mean, so he's turning 27 in October. Um, he just had uh, an awesome season where he, he was a point of game. Um, and, you know, he was really just the driving force offensively for the Blue Jackets and really kind of had, I mean, he set a franchise record for points in a season, which seems crazy considering only at 82 points, but also speaks to what that franchise has gone through over the years. But, you know, his value is really high right now. And if you're a team like, let's say, the Carolina Hurricanes, for example, where you don't really have, with all due respect to a guy like Sebastian Ajo, you don't necessarily have sort of that front line just, guy that's going to completely just drag everyone along for the ride with him and be a complete difference maker up front and you do have a ton of really interesting assets and draft capital and prospects and young guys in your lineup 
Like, if you... The point is, guys like Artemi Panarin very rarely become available, and the fact that this could be the second time in as many years that he has been is kind of seems like a a weird aberration oh, historically. Yeah, totally. I mean, granted, a weird set of circumstances given how old he was when he came over and all right. that, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's it's hard to imagine that I'm getting rid of him. But if you're going to get a return, yeah, Carolina's probably not a bad place to start, right, with the glut of defense that they have. And um, if you were to find someone who could really anchor a second pairing below Seth and Seth Jones and Zacharensky, um, I mean, you could craft one of the better decors out there for the foreseeable future, um, assuming, you know, they all get locked down to, to long-term deals. But um, like you said, then you're kind of regressing. I mean, you're really going back. Right. really going back offensively in terms of what you have scoring-wise. Um, I mean, Panarin proved, I think, everything people wanted him to prove when he was playing away from Patrick Kane. Yep. Um, and especially how, yeah, you're right, how he looked in the, especially that early half of that uh, that Washington series. Um, you know, I, I don't fault him for uh, saying that he, he doesn't want to talk term, and, and I certainly don't fault Columbus for panic, panicking a little bit um, because, the uh, like you said, the prospect of losing him for nothing is, is pretty bleak. Yeah, I think uh, at all costs they need to try and uh, make that work because they, they, as I said, they've never really in their franchise history had a player like that. And while I love other guys they have up front and they're very interesting players, like at the end of the day, he is their most impactful guy and it would be a massive uh, step back for them after the year they had. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else we want to talk about? Is there, am I, am I missing something? It's... It's a pretty dry period. Like I know, you know, the draft's coming up here, and then free agency, and there's going to be a ton of rumors and stuff. But for the most, like, I, for the most part, it just seems like kind of pure speculation at this point. So I don't know if there's anything we really want to dive into. Doesn't seem like a heck of a lot of noise, right? I mean, we'll probably hear more once the draft passes and some trades happen, and teams start meeting with their UFAs, and um, you know, that interview window opens. Do you have any any thoughts on awards? Or you you've knocked those out on previous podcasts? Yeah, I've talked about it a bunch, and also. I don't find them to be very interesting. I'll watch the show, but I, I'm, 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 I'm long past the point of becoming indignant about this stuff. I've sort of realized, and you just got to take it for what it is. You don't have your popcorn ready now that the PHWA is revealing its ballots, and you can go deep diving into those and get angry all over again? It's going to be pretty fun. I don't know. Are they going to release them immediately after? I don't know. Um, the did you vote? Might... I did not. Oh, okay. Um, I, I was, I'm detached enough. I think I don't watch it. You know, I kind of float in and out depending on the time of the year and write features here or there. Um, I personally don't think it's fair for me to vote. Um, that's kind of where I'm at. I don't, I don't feel qualified enough at this point. What are you doing on this podcast then? Hey, that's on you, bud. (laughs) Wow. This is 50 minutes. No one's going to get back. I'm like a, I'm like a Pierre Dorian trade. I come around every like three months and leave everybody super disappointed. (laughs) There we go. Um, Okay, here's a. Uh, someone asked about the Islanders, and you know we touched on them briefly there, just because they've been linked to Barry Trotz, and obviously Philip Grubauer would fill a need for them. Um, they're a team to watch, obviously with John Tavares' impending free agency, but also they have those two uh, mid-range first-round picks, and I imagine. You know, with Lou there now, it seems like they're at least being like legitimately considered in every discussion, basically, by the sound of it. So it's like, I feel like something has to give there after years of, um, of sort of empty promises and and Garth Snow just kind of sitting on his hands. It really seems like we're poised for the Islanders to do something of significance, which I'm sure their fans are very excited about. Yeah, it feels like everything's on the table. Um, from you know, bringing Tavares back, I could easily see Tavares leaving. I could see him coming back. Um, you know, the coach is obviously a big second point. Um, curious how Barry will work um, with Lou if, if indeed he'll have to shave for one. Um, but how that how that partnership will work? Um, you know, Barry Trotz is kind of known as a, a good soldier, does what he's told, etc. Um, but then again, he also is you know a very chatty guy and very friendly with reporters, and that's not necessarily how Lou runs his operation there. Um, but you know, on the ice, yeah, I mean, they have, and that lad contract's not great. Um, the Bailey contract, we'll see if he can sustain what he did last year. It's going to be a lot harder if he's not playing next to Tavares. Um, but at the same time, you get two years of Matthew Barzell at, uh, below league minimum. So, or around league minimum. So, 
um, or whatever, you know, he, no, it's still on his entry level, I mean to say. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's there, there's talent there. There's talent in the pipeline with him and Beauvillier, and there's, there's pieces to build around. But, um, yeah, I mean, a lot depends on, on what you get Tavares at and how much you lock him down for. But there's there's a lot of moves I think they have to make, right, before they can actually become a legit contender. I think, like, Lou quite literally has John Tavares locked down, like, in shackles, just not letting him leave. He's just like, yeah, yeah, and be the, here the, until... The, the, you're going to be here till July 1st and then I'm going to guarded by some mythical dragon. Yeah. He's in shackles in some dark dungeon underneath Barclay center. So you mentioned, you mentioned, um, you know, Barry Trotz's kind of, uh, openness and willingness to talk and communicate and how that goes against Lou. Just generally speaking, like, have you, here's an article idea for you. Have you considered writing about like the people behind the social media accounts for teams? Is that something you've done? The people behind the social media accounts for teams. Like the people that are that are running like the social media accounts, like the the official ones for. Like, no, I, I mean I know this year like Dan Moraza got a lot of pub for um, running the Vegas account and right. starting it off at least. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's that's interesting. Why do you ask? I mean, cer- certainly some of them seem to have developed their own kinds of personalities, right? It's it's you know a little bit par for the course in this day and age where like brands themselves try to be you know hip and have you know use emojis and stuff like that. Well, I just think it's interesting because. It does seem like a bit of a thankless job. Like, if you ever click on the replies or the mentions for, like, let's say, like, the Minnesota Wilds, like, Twitter account, if they tweet something, they're, like, people, like, like legitimately, like, asking for trades, and, like, I, I feel like they think that, like, the GM is, some people legitimately believe that the GM is running that account. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're like, why'd you do this? And it's like, that, that poor person's probably like, I do not get paid nearly enough to put up with this, and obviously you have to be incredibly professional because you're representing the team, and I'm sure you see a bunch of crazy stuff that must be very tempting to, to reply to, but then we have seen over the past couple of years, it does feel like, you know, Vegas is a bit of an extreme there, but there are other teams as well that sort of have fun with it a little bit and sometimes even kind of roast their fans a little bit or other analysts or, you know, do kind of don't take it too seriously and kind of just have a bit of fun with it. And obviously, I mean, at the end of the day, there might not necessarily be that much to gain from it from a risk reward perspective, because you could say something and really put your foot in your mouth. But for the most part, like I think fans do appreciate um, those team accounts kind of being a bit more lighthearted, generally speaking. I would agree. Everyone loves a good a good burn every now and then, a good slam. Um, I think the big takeaway though would be hug hug a social media manager if you see him or her. Yes. If you see them at some point um, because they are probably putting up with a lot behind the scenes that you do not know, um, and they do have to read all that stuff. Uh, I don't think you can just punt on every little reply. You probably it's probably part of your job, right, to have to go through with that and to have to wade through that kind of quagmire, um, especially after a loss or especially in times like like how would you how would you enjoy being the Senators? social media manager right now not great not great oh the 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 colorado avalanche one last year after that historically abysmal season where they were like tweeting out fun facts about their players that was a really good one yeah Yeah. so i mean you you can say face that there must be a certain degree of creativity. Just be in on the joke and just sort of don't take yourself too seriously, I think. is the, it, It's the a level of creativity I know nothing about because, yeah, you got to be pithy. You got to be deprecate, self-deprecating and uh, you got to be able to handle a ton of crap. Mm. So you spent you spent a bunch of time around George McPhee in the past. And obviously this year uh, you spent a bunch of time covering and writing about the Golden Knights. Uh, one of the big offseason questions I do have, and then we'll get out of here after this, is how they approach this summer because it does seem like it's a very sort of potentially uh it's it's a big crossroads for them right because they obviously had this unexpected miraculous inaugural season and now i'm sure there's some temptation to sort of consolidate that and show that it's not we're just kind of a blip on the radar and have another great season to follow it up maybe not necessarily make the cup final but not completely fall back down to earth and regress but at the same time you know, it is a new franchise and they are trying to build up uh, a bit of depth through their organizational ranks. So it's like they're obviously linked based on how much money they have and the market there to guys like Carlson or even in free agency to Tavares. How much of an incentive do you think there is there to capitalize on this year they had and really go all in as opposed to sort of taking a step back and remaining level headed and keeping that four or five year plan that they had heading into this thing? I wondered, though, what, what that does look like, stepping back and being level-headed. Um, you know, they don't have a first-round pick this year. They traded that away for Tatar. And, um, you know, there, a lot of their picks that they've stocked up either come in the later rounds this year or in the early rounds over the next couple of years. So, um, 
I'm kind of of the opinion that they have a free summer to play with almost that, um, you know, the guys, I mean, they did a great job loading up last summer and getting prospects and such. And those guys are still a little bit of a ways away. And obviously you kind of are playing with house money here, so to speak, given, um, you know, what you did in your inaugural season. So, um, yeah, like you said, I mean, they have cap space, they have players who they could conceivably take runs at and, and, you know, whether it's, they're trying to make a run for Eric Carlson or, or Tavares or Kovalchuk or whoever, um, I'm kind of of the opinion that um, because you had so many guys overplay or um, outplay what what people expected of them and outplay what they've historically done, um, that you could with you could stand to try and get some higher end guys and have those you know players like Eric Halla get bumped down to a little bit more of a manageable role. So you know there's not as much pressure on him or um, you know even William Carlson is he really your number one center of the future? Um, maybe he's more suited suited to a two C role and. Um, that's take a little bit of pressure off him to sustain, you know, a 25% shooting percentage and 40 goals or wherever he had. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's certainly, uh, way more, a lot of areas they can improve upon, I think. And, um, I mean, they have the flexibility, they have the, they have the picks, they have the prospects. If they really want to take another run at this, they can. Um, but at the same time, I mean, couldn't you just see, I mean, if shooting percentages dip off, if, uh, the magic isn't recaptured, I mean, I can see them as a fringe team next year and, um, you know, like you said, kind of looking more long term as opposed to, um, you know, thinking about, yeah, let's let's keep going. Let's be a you know, let's try to make the cup final every single year. Right. Well, especially in that Pacific Division, obviously, like, you know, there's a Arizona Coyotes are considered to be this trendy sleeper pick heading into next season. Um, you know, the Sharks, we just talked about how they could really load up and add a bunch of big names this summer. You know, the Kings and the Ducks obviously have their own flaws, but I don't think they're necessarily going to just completely um you know, fall apart next year. They're going to be a kind of fringe playoff teams again. Obviously, Calgary and Edmonton have the talent there and just had inexplicably bad seasons, and you expect that they're going to be better next year. So, like, it's going to be pretty hotly contested there, and I'm I'm really curious to see just sort of what their thinking is. I mean, I think the worst thing they could do is just, like, throw a bunch of money at sort of that middle tier, right? Like, going after, like, Paul Stasny and bringing back James Neal on a big ticket and stuff like that. Like, I'm, I'm all for, like, the big game hunting. Like, go after Eric Carlson in a trade, um, even if it means taking Bobby Ryan's contract. Like, try to sign John Tavares. But I, I, I think sort of that middle tier stuff doesn't necessarily ultimately really move the needle for them. No, I don't think there's much sense in doing that. Um, I mean, maybe you sign a couple guys to cheap, you know, like two years at $3 million type deals, you know? Maybe you round out your roster with like a Patrick Maroon type of guy who's not going to be commanding, you know, a lot of money or a long term. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think there's sense in throwing, you know, four or five years at a guy that you're going to keep around who's, um, you know, you hope you you outgrow him, right? You hope you're better than him by the time that uh, that contract ends. So, um, yeah, I, I'm in the camp that, you know, you either go big or you just kind of stay put um, and and still look ter- look long term. If, if something comes along where you can get a franchise changer, that's awesome. But um you know, definitely be patient and stay the course because, I mean, that's been the plan all along. And, um, you know, obviously this this first year did more than anyone there could have expected, both, you know, in the city and, and in the front office. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a sense, you know, kind of tinkering with it too much um, unless that tinkering is going to land you someone who's going to be part of your team for the next, you know, seven or eight years. Mm. Well, yeah, because it's one of those things where obviously one of the big benefits of being an expansion team is you sort of, get a clean slate right and you're not starting with all these albatross contracts unless that's the path you wanted to take in in the expansion draft and it's very quick you could very quickly go down a slippery slope there and we've already seen like with a guy like thomas Tatar and all of a sudden they've attached themselves to him for three more years at 5.3 million which isn't looking that great so it's like one or two more of those and all of a sudden sort of that benefit that you had there is quickly washed away yeah exactly or or if you know guys regress if guys who like we said, had career years, just, you know, fall back a little bit towards the mean, um, a little bit towards what we expect of them. Then, um, you know, all of a sudden in the, in totality, they're, they're not nearly as good as a team. And, um, so that's why, yeah, that's why it's important to keep loading up on picks, keep looking to the future. But, um, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, <laughs> I would love to see Tavares and Carlson in a Vegas uniform next year. How fun would that be? Yeah, let's do it. Get a cobalt truck there too. Just bring every big name. Sure. Is Shibashev doing anything these days? Can he come back? <laughs> it'd be so nhl and just just pure in, insanity like they actually bring a bunch of those guys in and don't even make the playoffs that's like huh? here's my one wish no no slava voinov yes yes uh i i feel that way for all 31 nhl teams so oh that's what that's what i meant just yes. none, oh, okay. none, none period if we can get yeah. through this if we can get through july one without having his name come up at all that'd be great and um yeah unfortunately i guess, I guess like 
Yeah. For covering this league long enough, you realize that NHL teams will disappoint you with their decision making. Um, all right. Alex, uh, that's that's going to be a great name for this one. Is just disappoint disappointing decision making. <laughs> yes, teams will disappoint you. Um, plug some stuff. What are Hopefully you working we on? We did not. Hopefully we did not. Uh, I don't. I don't really care at this point. If you're still listening, we got your download. We you've been listening for an hour. Hopefully that means good things. So whatever. Um, what are you working on? Plug some stuff. Where can people follow you? Uh, SI.com. Uh, Twitter is Alex underscore Pruitt. P R E W I T T. Um, kind of in non-hockey mode you know we wrapped up our cover story on Ovechkin and um you know maybe we'll nibble around the fringes on free agency and the draft and such but um probably not gonna have a you know big NHL feature till next season comes so in the meantime just uh doing some other stuff doing a, a CFL story that you can look for in a little bit doing a uh, an NFL story um doing a couple we have a, a true crime series that's pretty self-explanatory you know dealing in um, you know, real crime events that I'm, I'm looking into a couple stories for. So, um, yeah, just uh, trying to stay busy until till we uh, till we get back at it again next season. All right, man. Well, uh, enjoy your summer. It was it was a blast having you on, and I think you were on like three or four times this season. So uh, let's uh, let's enjoy the summer and let's get you back on just as many times next year, if not more. I- I can't believe it took you three or four times to realize that I don't have expertise. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna start uh, ignoring your calls from now on. Sounds good. All right, cheers, man. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. <laughs>